Hello, and welcome to the Holmes Movies Podcast. I am Adam Holmes, the person who normally does not introduce the podcast episodes, but is introducing it today because uh, we're trying a new format. We are uh, in interview mode. Uh, we are uh, using an, a new idea uh, uh, called, um, which we haven't thought of the name for yet, but it might be called The Movies and Me, or Me and the Movies, or um, People That We Know Talk About Movies, brackets TM. Um, anyway, uh, we're here today with an actual bona fide filmmaker um, to talk about four of his favourite films, but more importantly, uh, to talk about a new film uh, that he's just directed that's um, in cinemas currently. Soon? Um, soon? Soon. Soon. Um, but uh, because uh, this is a friend of Anders's, I'm going to hand over to Anders to introduce our esteemed guests. So, hello everyone, Anders here. Um, I'm very proud to have uh, my old film school friend, Callum Byrne, on the podcast. I've uh, had the pleasure of working with him on numerous projects, short and feature films. And uh, it's great to have you here and to talk about your new film, Battle Over Britain. It's great. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's always, I was quite excited about today. I'm not going to lie. I thought, oh, it's a good little chat with Anders. I haven't seen Adam in, I said, 10 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Funny> you. <laughs> like an old <laughs> coin, I will resurface. Um, yes, uh, no, it's wonderful to to reconnect. And um, yeah, so tell us about uh, Battle Over Britain. Um, you've done a number of World War II movies, short and feature length, right? Yeah. That's correct. So this is my third, I'm not going to get it's like third feature film um, that I've made over the last 10 years. Uh, this one is tells the story of a, uh, a flight of Spitfire pilots during the height of the Battle of Britain. And it basically follows them over a 24 hour period, giving you a snapshot of what it must have been like as a, as a pilot, especially with all your friends being lost in battle and replacements coming in. Um, so yeah, instead of it being like the 1969 classic Battle of Britain, which was more about the events over that summer, this is more about a smaller map of people and how they must have coped with the strains, the stresses of what was going on around them. Um, so that's the kind of idea. So it's more, it's more of a, um, a personal take on on that uh, on that story and that time rather than a big spoiling epic like you get with Napoleon or, or I said, the original Battle of Britain. Oh, sorry, Battle of Britain. Um, yeah, so we shot that in, when did we shoot that last? Last year September, in September. October, yeah. yeah. And it'd been in post-production and it's out at the end of this week. I don't know when this is coming out, so it might have already come well, out. Like... That's up to how fast <laughs> Anders can edit. But yeah, yeah, no, we'll, yeah, put yeah, all the, yeah. we'll put all the pertinent information in the show notes. It's funny because I just watched the... Uh, I should say the original Battle of Britain, <laughs> the, the the Battle of Britain movie, um, with uh, my ten year old nephew over Thanksgiving, which I think is like the perfect way to watch uh, that film. And it's interesting that I think if you have a if there's a critique to be made of that film, um, I think it is that it's almost too broad in its scope. That, that you know you you actually want to zoom in on those moments of uh, interpersonal tension, and it feels like the film trying to do the sort of longest day uh, bridge too far thing loses the thread a little bit. So you get a kind of idea of some of the tensions that are going on in individual people's lives, but um, you don't quite get to sort of ever follow um, anything through. So I really um, I love the idea of this uh, more um, focused uh, look. I have to confess, I have received the private link to the film, but because of the challenges of parenting, I have not yet managed to watch it. That's uh, right. 
<laughs> no, I will, and I very much look forward to it. Um, so, and as you waved some very intimidating looking um, document of questions at us as we were- uh, Documents. Getting, getting, getting a dossier, um, yes. the, the, the Holmes dossier. Um, of, do you have you, questions that you want to ask Callum that aren't related to how amazing the sound in the film is? It's nothing, nothing to do, I'm not going to plug my sort of sound work on the film, but we can. I can check off one of them because one of them is about the film and the plot and everything. Um, but also, I, I wanted to sort of set, ask, because um, uh, your production company, Tin Hat Productions, you guys are very hands-on in in what you guys do. You not only write and direct, but you build the props and the sets and the costumes and everything. Do you find that challenging in any way in trying to strive for that sort of, to making the films feel authentic as possible? Or like, has it gotten easier with each production that, that you've done? So I would say the biggest thing is because we're doing several jobs we're spread quite thin i mean it's become a lot easier over time because we're kind of used to multitasking and we kind of have a, a, a shorthand way of working between me and my dad because my dad uh, co-runs the production company with me as producer so that kind of becomes easier um and we've kind of got a good team of people around us on set, like yourselves and yourself, Anders and Sam and the actors who we've used again and again. So that makes it a lot easier. I guess it's the biggest challenge is money, really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like any, that's the case with like a lot of independent productions as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like the biggest thing I think with our film, with Battle of Brit, is, is because we were limited with money, we couldn't have like eight spitfires all lined up on the field and so that's the one area which we're striving to get but i think that's the that the only thing with that is it's fixed with money or vfx and we've done vfx ourselves this time um well for every film we have um but yeah i'm not sure <laughs> i think the biggest thing is now is just even a little bit of money, if we had another £50,000 of this film, we could have done so much more. Mm. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, with how Tin Hat works is we, we strive to the most we can with the limited amount of money we have, but there's only so far, you can only go so far. I yeah. hope that answers your question. I was trying to remember what your question was as I was answering it. No, no, it's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but I, I asked a question, Anders. Yes, you, yes, you could ask a question. Well, I, I guess you know, with the, the, I guess you know, the production company's ethos and its approach to you know the stories you choose to talk about. You know, we're talking about um, did a film about bomb, bomber crews and um, right. No. Yeah, we did uh, Lancaster Skies. Yes, Lancaster Skies. Yeah, I was really, really hope I got that right. <laughs> 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 Done my research, um, and um, and so you know, you're choosing stories from the Second World War about you know guys in combat for the large for the most part that have quite a intimate focus which obviously works from a budget point of view but i think is also an, a good way of telling the story of the conflict because i think as we've seen you know ever since um the war ended you know the this was a you know a catastrophic event that killed millions of people that involved almost everyone on the planet and yet you know it's also an event that happened to individuals and every single person experienced it in a different way um, and some of the best war movies are about, you know, have that sort of close, um, really personal feel. And so I guess partly my question is, you know, what, is this, you know, what sort of brought you to 
focus in so heavily on the Second World War? You know, do you think um, that uh, that this is going to be your your oeuvre entirely, or is this? Uh, do you have a do you have in mind a sort of uh, a broader scope in terms of your filmmaking, or is uh, is Tin Hat and what you're really hoping to do really just to sort of you know, I, I guess almost create the sort of next generation of uh, World War Two films? Uh, so we've, we we although we're focusing on war films at the moment, we definitely want to break into other genres. We have comedies and sci-fi ideas and western ideas and whodunit film ideas we've got loads of ideas the biggest at the moment is being low budget if you did a whodunit let's say obviously you'd need a big casting you look at like knives out they've got name after name after name in that whereas this we're limited with we can't get a name so what is our name is the spitfire or the lancaster or whatever it might be so that's what kind of we're focusing on war specifically right now um because there's a market for it and 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 there are name those 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 iconic images are our name in the film. Um, we kind of fell into making war films. <clears throat> I mean, I've always had an interest in in the Second World War. As soon as like I went to um, Remembrance Sunday with my dad, and he sat down and showed me films like The Damn Bastards and Longest Day and Bridge Too Far. Um, I've always had an interest, and then especially when I saw Saving Private Ryan, it was. It's, it's just obviously it's a great film and so you're drawn to being obsessed with filmmaking it's just something that oh one day i want to make a war movie and then it really fell into place that that's what we're going to do make war films is when we went to met film school in ealing studios the soundstage i think it was soundstage one that we originally was part of met they filmed the cruel scene so it was kind of like i think they did all the miniature work or they did something in that stage it was a plaque on on the side of the uh, stage and it said, said the cool sea and me and my dad then went oh that's a good idea making films like those old classic war films yeah but bring them up to date uh and it worked i mean it was one of those things it was a shot in the dark at the time um but we found out yeah that there is definitely an audience for it but yeah i mean it's just uh yeah it's just like both me and my dad have had an interest in that in that subject matter we like those sorts of films and they just happened we just happened to be at ealing on that day and we saw that Mm. Clack. We went. Oh, that's a good idea. But we definitely want to branch out in the in the future. Jack Hawkins may have leant against this wall. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And I, I. It is. It's so funny to think of these sort of large neutral spaces dotted around West and North London that have hosted some of the most like iconic scenes in the history of yes. cinema that are essentially just hangers. Uh, <laughs> but I love. Um, I love that, and I lo- and I really like the idea of taking the the the, the old fifties, sixties World War Two format, which for me is still same. We like about Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers and all the great things that are made in our lifetime. But I think that era, for some reason, just it still sort of evokes um, classic war films for me. And I think you know, in part because there was this um, uh, focus on like ensemble casts and. Um, you know, really kind of uh, finding ways to make the war palatable because it's like you don't want to draw in an audience of people who've just gone through the event to, yeah. um, you know, replay something that, you know, would be, you know, to use the nomenclature of, of our, you know, times like sort of triggering, you know, like something I think you made Saving Private Ryan in 1962 with the that amount of um, verisimilitude, you might have... <laughs> Uh, had a different reaction than you know what was 
I think clearly people enjoyed the longest day and veterans probably walked out of the cinema being like, well, that wasn't how it happened, but yeah, they went to see it anyway. So, I, um, but I, but I like the idea of taking it up to date because obviously there's still such an ap- appetite for these films because every single year, you know, they're on telly around Christmas. They're always cited by like dads and people like us as um, you know, their favorite, among their favorite films, you know, I, I lose count of the amount of times we've, not knowing what to watch and just stuck on the dirty dozen because it's just we know it's going to give us a good time so i i love that because now there's just more of those films to choose from yeah i mean i think that's your point that saying about how like at the time they didn't really want to focus on the negativity of the of the war like they wanted to show like i said you said that if they'd shown a film like seven private ryan in, in the 1960s it probably wouldn't have gone down as well as when it was brought out in the 1990s and that's really part of the reason why I think showing the more emotional side of, and more personal side of those stories is important and different because they didn't they didn't do that in the fifties and sixties because people were still recovering from the war itself. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so. Oh God, I can be. I, we have to obviously stay on some kind of track here because I could talk about this all day. Um, do you is have? That- yeah, I just, uh, is there a battle or like a moment in either the First World War or the Second World War that you would like to see on the big screen? Or do you feel like it hasn't, or, or a film hasn't done it justice? So that's, that's a great question, and as well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been working on an idea. So there's obviously the, the, there was the original Dunkirk. I can't wait when it came out now, but uh, the original Dunkirk. Uh, what with Trevor Howard, wasn't it? Yes. Someone. Anyway, yeah, uh, and then there was the the I, don't, I wouldn't know if it was really called a remake. It was just the the, the Christopher Nolan film. And one thing they've not touched upon is the the rear guard action of Dunkirk. They've spoken about what happened on the beaches and in the Channel, but no one has spoken about the guys that they left behind. And so this we've been trying to get a film off the ground, telling that story. I don't think it's going to happen quite yet. I think it will happen at some point, but I just don't think it's going to happen in, in the next few years um so that's a story i'd quite like to tell um we're also working things we're working on stuff there's a a, a a tank called um Frey bentos that we're i think is the film we're making next i mean I've, i say i think we've bought a tank like a miniature tank to start shooting miniatures and stuff um and that's a story we like to tell about a world war one tank that came stuck in no man's land for three days and nights and the crew basically the crew stayed there as like a pillbox forward pillbox and they say the three days and nights became the most highly decorated tank through the first world war um and we're kind of looking at doing a documentary alongside um because it'd be there's there's arguments to where exactly the tank sits the tank still sits somewhere on the battlefield under they, they think it's under a certain field we think it's elsewhere so there's an inter- interesting documentary there and the, the story itself is a very interesting documentary. It's sat, it, sorry, interesting film. It sounds like a synopsis or tri- <laughs> it sounds like someone's made made it for a movie. Um, mm. So that's Which, something. What, you, what you're describing is like the perfect blend of the film Fury and Time Team. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, also, yeah, but, but, in, but in all seriousness, also like that. I had my issues with the with the Brad Pitt movie Fury, partly because you know. Um, as has been pointed out in other forums, you know, with that amount of German soldiers coming at you at the end of the Second World War, you know, call in an artillery strike and you'll be fine. You don't have to park your Sherman and see them off. But I love this um, this idea of uh, um, 
you know, the no man's land thing. I mean, I think it's difficult to make first world war movies uh, full stop. Um, and, um, and I think, um, I think it sounds really, really awesome. Um, and um, yeah, and I, I yeah, love the idea of like, getting hold of like miniature tanks and getting to play with them. I just, yeah, I, I feel like in a, I'm moving back to England and joining your production staff. Um, <laughs> doing, not sure what I'd do, except that point out how cool everything is. Um, what was going to be my question though? I had something. Oh, my point. Actually, I googled the Dunkirk movie. It's John Mills. If, if in oh, doubt, British war film from this era, just go with John Mills. And it's 1958. 58. There you go. Yeah, it's, I think it's in black. It's in black and white, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of before they kind of started using Technicolor and that sort of thing mm. in full force. But um, Bernard yeah. Lee is in it, apparently. There you go. I mean, mm. I think actually that film depicts the the beach better than the, the Christopher Nolan's the Christopher Nolan one looks too lovely and clean it didn't look too bad at all just like standing in a line waiting for a boat and it wasn't like that whatsoever in fact atonement atonement is a far better yeah like that whole example of sequence what, yeah it's amazing um, I mean you feel I the mean that was chaos of yeah, that of that, that was like day there. five minutes of the film and they did mm. a better job than someone that spent <laughs> the whole film about it but yeah oh well I did I remember seeing your dad's comment about it on Facebook or I can't remember where it might have been Facebook and he was talking about all the sort of different elements of the film that he that didn't quite sit well with him and one of them was like like the whole you know they're talking about 400,000 men on the beach show that that was yes that, that was one of the things because you you don't quite get I mean it's an exercise in tension and suspense more than anything else but I mean it's good in that sort of sense but yeah it doesn't quite sell the sort of like we got to get off this beach and get off otherwise the war's over for us there are some really great, like the, I think the sinking of boat, the the when they want stuck on the boat and it's sinking. That's a really good scene. Um, the um, the Spitfire stuff is really good, although yeah. it's not actually a Spitfire for some of it. They like shoot it, but I kind of like like that. I go, I feel yeah. they're being clever there. I shoot it, but I thought that was really good. Um, and what he did with time was great. But yeah, I felt I just felt it could. Well, apparently, I I, read, I saw a thing where they said. They only had enough money to buy something like two thousand costumes, if mm. that. I think it was. Wow. But then they were using IMAX cameras, so you could have bought more yeah. <laughs> costumes and not just saw it on thirty-five mil. So, um, yeah, it's a well, shame. They had, uh, they had like well, things in the background that so, like fill out that there's more people because they didn't have enough extra. So they had like mannequins or something like that in like yeah. all far away shots or something. Well, I was thinking that in that scenario, use vfx he was changing the ships because the ships weren't right because they'd been altered and stuff since d-day when they were using like original ships or they're using modern day ships and altering them so if you do that vfx why can't you extend the beach i get like foreground people you want real but back i mean they can do it so easily now you've got to look at something like the crown or something like that where they constantly change the backgrounds they do it so cheaply or mm. i say cheaply easily and make yeah. it look really good that i just think it's a shame it's kind of like when let's just spend all the money on Spitfires. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the just getting back to your film, I thought the sort of the, the Spitfire scenes were the fighting in the in the air. I thought those were those were really, really well yeah, done. Yeah, speaking of VHX, I mean I, VHX, VFX. I've seen the the trailer um for Battle Over Britain. I mean, and I was sort of you know looking at the scenes on the ground. I'm like, okay, great, you know, good costumes, etc. And then there's this 
uh, you know, dog fighting scene cut into the trailer. And I was like, whoa, holy shit. You know, because as, as I say, I watched, I just seen the original Battle of, Battle of Britain, which is like essentially the dog fights are, they look familiar from newsreel footage except colorized because it's essentially the same technology. It's a gun camera on the front of an airplane following another airplane around until it belches some smoke and then um, that's it. But here it's like, you get such a sense of how like chaotic and busy the the air is around, you know, because obviously you don't have to worry about mid-air collisions when all your planes are made of um, uh, pixels. Um, and so you can really show that kind of, the, you know, I think about when I read those, um, you know, whether it's Jeffrey Wellham or the bloke who was on Malta, whose name I can't remember, but he, they always talk about, you know, sometimes the air is completely empty, but other times you're like, you 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 just can't see for fucking planes yeah. everywhere. And um, I feel like that came across in that brief sequence in the trailer that I mentioned, but obviously from the full film as well. Yes, so. thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, we, we took a lot of inspiration for shooting that stuff from, especially the cockpit stuff from Dunkirk from Christianized Dunkirk and tilting the aircraft so you get some movement in the light and the background um I mean VFX is always a nightmare so we basically learned we did another feature film a few years ago called Spitfire Berlin and we from that kind of learned what works digitally and what doesn't and what you can kind of do to improve it and basically shorter shots are better like quicker snappier cuts um and kind of only shooting from doing certain shots so looking down the site really works because it kind of yeah looking down the site works if you were to try to do a wide shot of aircraft traveling from left to right doesn't work so well where there are a couple of shots in the films we kept them to a minimum and spent time kind of polishing them as much as we could um yeah but that was a that i think the our previous film kind of taught us how VFX work best, um, yeah. But you had but you had started working on a lot of the VFX stuff before before shooting. Yes, I had. I think I had about forty shots done. I think it's one hundred and forty five shots or one hundred forty six shots, and then filming total. Yeah, and I'd done about forty by the time we were filming. So then I could literally go, okay, we need this to cut to this shot. Yeah, and then um, yeah, because you weren't there for that bit, were you? You'd gone home by that point. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, because you guys did all the sort of cockpitsy stuff before. Uh, yeah, I, that, I, yeah, I, I, they I, all had masks on. Yeah, yeah. So it was just like <laughs> most of the time. So, um, but I, I have to say the 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 way you guys shot it and everything is was it was pretty well done. Especially like how to make it all feel all claustrophobic and tense and frightening. Especially, um, uh. I'll try not to spoil anything, but like one of the one of the like a lot of the performances, and particularly in the first dogfight sequence for one of the characters, where his just eyes were so wide, and you just see the fear in his in him. It's just I don't yeah, know. um, sharp, yeah, yeah, the character of sharp, yeah, played but, by uh, Sean Sean Bean, of course, um, <laughs> yeah, bastards, <laughs> bastards, right. Arnold Rossi, yeah, yeah. um, oh. What was I? I keep I keep losing my thread, but that's because I've got. Why well, you should write them down like I did? Porridge. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah. My question partly was going to be, um, uh, you know, in terms of his, historical accuracy, etc. Do you are you just you and your production team so well versed that you feel confident, or do you employ the services of any kind of um, 
historians or um you know uh, equipment accuracy buffs or do you just trust in your own abilities um i mean because we've we've done three films now what's based on the RAF we kind of already knew a lot of the terminology and stuff which they use or they mm. used um so that kind of stuff would be when we made Lancaster Skies, we've got the guys at um, East Kirby Aviation Heritage Centre to go through it who, are, who have a Lancaster bomber and they check stuff. Um, we've had other people read the scripts and just kind of go over and go, oh, is that right? Um, I mean, there's, there was still stuff in Battle Over Britain where we were afterwards, we went, I don't think that's right. And we had to redub a line. So it was oh. correct. Just a little thing that you kind of you don't think about at the time. It was uh, what was it? It was. You're referring to the Germans bombing Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was saying like uh, I don't know. It was saying like so. I think it was there was only an A and B flight as part of a, a, squad, a squadron, um, and we had a C flight. So we changed it or D flight one or the other. We we said so we just changed it so the actor said the right line. Um, but other than that, I mean, we'd use a lot of inspiration from the Jeffrey Wellen book um, and uh, TV program called A Piece of Cake, an old, like a 1990s British, or it might be 1980s British um, BBC series about a, a, a Spitfire squadron. Um, we were always quite careful not to kind of put our foot in it and do something wrong like it's a fictitious air like a uh air, air crew fictitious squadron so you kind of don't get anyone going well they didn't do that um but yeah i think i think i mean i think just from the fact we've made three films now on the ref there was a lot of the kind of more basic terminology and stuff we already knew um i mean we learned from our first film people who don't salute at the hand got um hats on so we made sure and I was slew if they never had on stuff like that we've just picked up along the way um though I don't personally think that matters you're telling a story and if someone salutes with a hat on or not but we've learned as we go little things like that um there'll probably be something that someone will pick up on this there'll be something that someone like goes, in the age of social media someone being <laughs> pedant no. there's going to be someone on the internet going like they didn't do that they didn't say it like that <laughs> yeah. spinning the wrong way um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ah, wonderful. Um, well, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to watch it as soon as I can. Can I may even just be like, look, baby, today we're watching airplanes. Um, but um, we we've we've got you on. Um, not just to talk about this film, and, and we will talk more about it. Um, but also, uh, as you know, for this new format that we're uh, attempting, um, to get our guests on to speak about four of their favorite films. We picked four because. Um, you know, it's a, it was a good number. It's a good number. <laughs> it's good to stay on track, uh, time-wise, but also because you know uh, the service letterbox. You know, it's always it's always in sets of four in one day. They might sponsor us. Uh, uh, you but know, they've been at they've been we're at just like already. Yeah. Sorry, what? No, they've been at. I've seen like clips of people who work for Letterbox at premieres, like asking actors and directors, like what are their four favorite films? Yeah, and so this is like, our, this is what we're doing. It's just we're not being paid by them yet. But you're trying to get a job. Yeah, you're trying to get a job from them. That's what you're trying to do. We could do that. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're just we're just showing them that we have, you know, the 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 ability to also ask people what are some of their four favorite films. But I guess rather than four, you know, necessarily favorites, but it just we're trying to encourage people just to talk about any films that just feel like they have significance. So I guess before we um uh lose sight of that part of the podcast, lay your first film on us. So the first one has to be, I mean, it's very in keeping, it's saving private Ryan. Yeah. As a film that that when I watched that as a kid, stuck with me. And to be honest, if, if I watch it now, it'll stick with me for a day or so. Like especially that mm. opening, that opening beach scene. Um, it's it's probably I try to remember when I watched. I probably was pretty young when I watched it. When did that come out? Nineteen ninety eight. Um, I didn't watch it when I was that young. When I was about six, but and that would have given me nightmares. <laughs> I was I was 11 and I'd just gotten into World War II and I wasn't allowed to watch it until I wasn't allowed to go to the cinema to watch it because our parents were like really like for some reason they really took seriously the whole ratings thing like it's a 15 and I was like yeah, but... and so um so I had to wait until it was shown on Sky and then I was like yeah, well I mean it's... the first time we watched it was in um our grandparents' house on VHS. I think when you were no, 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 I was allowed to stay up when it was premiered on Sky Movies. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, remember, I do remember the first time I saw it with you on when we like rented it. Okay, well, great, yeah. Anders. But let's if we can, I, I'm going to um, hand the floor back to Callum before this <laughs> descends into internecine brotherly like <laughs> memory battles. Saving yeah. Private Ryan, great movie. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think a big part of it. It's very, it's kind of very similar in terms of. The sort of tone and storytelling we like to tell a very personal kind of. I mean, it's got those huge battles and it's quite a, got quite a big scope, but it's very personal, and that's something that I hadn't seen before at the time. I hadn't seen like the. I mean, I guess there were films like Platoon, but I, I think I watched that afterwards. The real kind of psychological effect that war has, and how kind of as an audience member, you kind of go through that yourself after seeing the opening. Um, yeah, it's just a film that sucked me, and I said it always has, it's making war films, it, it definitely has a huge influence on on the stories that I tell and how I tell them. Um, but yeah, if, I mean, I watched that now, me, me and Sam watched it not too long ago, we were watching scenes when we were talking about another a, a film we were trying to get, trying to get ideas for. Um, yeah, and it just still stands up today, even like 20 odd. Tw- was it 20? Is it a 25th anniversary this year? Yeah, it must be. Yeah, yeah, because um, so. it was meant to be coming out of cinemas, but it doesn't seem to be showing here. I know in the United States it was Ooh. last week, it was like back in cinemas. It might, I'm not sure if it still is, but um, I mean, that's I'd love to see it. I can't go to yeah. a cinema, I didn't like <laughs> you traumatize <laughs> your baby. Your baby. <laughs> well, yes. I traumatize the rest of you, she'll be fine, she's seen enough. I mean, we watched. Uh, we actually watched the the HBO series The Pacific uh, in the weeks before um, she was born. A little ahead of schedule, so I wonder if all the like explosions. Anyway, um, but the um, yeah, the the main thing is the other audience members would be, um, yeah, if they weren't traumatized enough by Omaha Beach, the, the sound of a screaming child certainly would uh, drive them from their seats. But uh, it's an amazing film. I mean, it's um, it changed expectations around. Uh, the second world war i mean i always feel slightly bad for the thin red line that came out the same year because it sort of gets forgotten about and i think the thin red line is a uh terrific movie in its own right very different mm-hmm. from private ryan but does some of the same stuff but i think 
the interesting thing about Private Ryan, when you look back at it, is almost sort of ex directly on the heels of that film, you get Band of Brothers, which seems to sort of pick up where Private Ryan left off. And the other thing yes. that's very significant for people of our generation probably is the the uh, Medal of Honor and Call of Duty video games that sort of also rift yeah, on they came from the, the the you know the events depicted in uh Private Ryan the sort of the the both the battle scenes but also the kind of men on the mission stuff and but it was um you want do you know it was it was developed by Steven Spielberg Medal of Honor oh I didn't realize that his, I, I'm pretty sure it was like his idea yeah, I think he had some involvement with it. Director yeah. down or something. Yeah, he was linked to it. Yeah, so it's all, it's all, it all comes back to saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah it was it's actually so many sequences in Ryan that just stay with you. Um, I mean, the scene where the the um, the medic is. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so upsetting. It's yeah. awful, and, and, and you, the performances there are just the, the. I mean, the late Tom Sizemore is just. Where the you know the platoon goes to pieces and he's like the he's like the mother in a family where the where no one is talking to each other and everyone's falling mm. apart. It's like a it, it's an it's a moment of um of just pure like visceral um um I don't know just like pain on on the part of these guys. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, that scene I mean, in the church as well between Tom Sizemore and Tom Hanks when they're talking about. A mutual like uh, Vecchio, I think that's the name, and the talking about that. I think that's yeah. seen really well. Like, some, I think that's one that follows, yeah. possibly. Yeah, I mean, or maybe no, maybe it's when the Vin Diesel character dies because that's always a bit that stays with me as well. Where he tries to save the French girl and he gets shot. Yeah, by and he's yeah, yeah shot by a sniper. I think that's, I think that is just before the church scene because I think the yeah. medic is writing the. Yeah, he's the writing. Language. He's translating he's the letter. Yeah, well, no, yeah, because it's got blood on it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I love that in a film about blokes and set in the war that there's like the scene where two of them like sit up at night by candle like being like, Psst, talk about, you know, like sort of whispering to each other like it's a sleepover. And I just sort of love that in the middle of this film, you get this like quiet, intimate and very kind of um, emotionally resonant moment. What's your uh, film number two? So then my second one, this is something that I always watch before a shoot it's something that i like every time i sit down a few days before filming and watch it and it's bridge of spies which oh. is, uh, tom hanks mark Ryland, steven spielberg it's probably a film that i could just sit down and watch at any time i'm not sure quite why that well i do i think i do it's i find it's like a masterclass in how to shoot something because it's actually a very talkative movie but i i never find it dull even though i watch i can watch it like i said i can sit and watch it now and i wouldn't find it dull in any way and i think it's it's a master class in how to use the camera how to move the camera and how to make kind of quite a simple story um exciting and interesting um I said it because i said if you just go yeah it's about these two two guys one's a russian spy and one's his lawyer it's about them trying to kind of like <laughs> The lawyer trying to help the Russian guy to not go to prison or to be uh, and eventually be given back to the Russians. And about him negotiating with all these people, some people might go, "Okay, I'm going to switch off there." But I think it's just that's it. I think it's a masterclass, in my opinion. It's a bit like for me, like Skyfall. I think Skyfall is like you can't. There's nothing. I would go. Mm, that's a bit off in Skyfall, and it's the same with with Prince of Spies. I think it's kind of. 
a perfect movie, although it might not be able to everyone's taste, in my opinion, it's a perfect movie. Um, down to performances, I said, yeah, the camera, like how did you like a one shot, one one shot scene? Um, yeah, I just kind of like everything about it, the way it looks. So to, uh, Tom Hanks can't go wrong, Tom Hanks. Um, yeah, and it's just it's just something I every time I said every time I make a film now, I sit, I sit and watch it like a couple of days before the shoot. And it just I don't know, just it just gets, gives me some idea. Yeah. yeah, it just gets me in the zone and, and kind of um inspires me in some way to take kind of reference from it and think about okay, how could I move the camera here like that, blah blah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just a film that I, I love. And I, so I I don't think it's necessarily Spielberg's best film. I don't think it's necessarily the best like spy espionage film. Um but it's just yeah. I don't know if it's because of when I watched it, because I think it came out when we were at film school, did it or just after? Uh I think it, yeah, a couple of years after we left, 2015, yeah. So yeah. So I don't have a specific answer to why I love it so much, but I do. <laughs> no, but that that's yeah, I mean I mean film is subjective in many ways because like we you, a lot of people can like a film that's one person hates and it's the it's, Are you are you thinking of anyone in particular, Anders? No, I'm so interested in this because I did. I when I watched Bridge of Spies, I was like, I I was I did not enjoy it as much. And now I want to watch it again, and I really want to watch it again because I'm like, this is so fascinating because it's you know I when it when it was uh, being released and when even when I saw the trailer, I was like, what is not to like? We got Rylash, we got Hanks, we got the Cold. I love the Cold War. I love spies. I love Le Carre stuff. And for some reason, this just didn't land with me. And it was almost like the film and I kept kind of missing each other. And mm. um, and as, as Anders says, you know, it's like, it's just where you're like sort of, wait a minute, is, Anders, is Adam going to go on a rant? <laughs> People can like different things. I'm like, you chose a bad movie, Callum. Um, yes. And, um, I um, Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that you chose that, but also um, that... Um, that two people with, you know, it sounds like quite similar tastes, uh, has to be said, you can sit down and have completely different experiences. And I love that because I think there are films that I um, adore that a lot of people would sit down and watch and be like, what, why are you? Oh, come on, you've got, to... you got to say what one is now. Um, well, they're probably all Westerns. Uh... You... Well, no, actually, the, the one time you showed some of your friends Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and they didn't. But that's weird, but they're just bad people. Like, how can you not like closing hands of the third kind? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, oh. like that. I, I, I hope you're not friends with them anymore. Unfortunately, I am. <laughs> but, like, I, just, <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going on. I mean, we watched the director's cut, but still, I, I don't know. Um, let's see what films that are terrible do I like? I mean, well, they're not necessarily terrible. Yeah, you know, other people would find. Um, I mean, I do like films where nothing happens. I have to like go into my letterbox. I can't do that. I can't scroll through all my entire. Um, it's as I said, sort of purely. Super, I, I think I guess the the classic one for me would be like your sort of your average like um, bad western, like a like a, um, a a sort of late to mid period uh, John Wayne movie, for example, which mm. is like any number of reasons to take a, a, a offense at these days. You know, like <laughs> it's like rotund like white supremacist in the lead role it's about like genocide and i'm just sitting there like yes <laughs> the thing is it's 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 of like it's of its time and there is it's a bit like watching like i don't know um 
any kind of film from that period like it's not the same as a modern like a lot of people would switch off because it's not modern right, just yeah. purely because it's not modern well that's the thing and, when you ask me to pick an example it's like i know tons of movies that most people would find like silent films which i really enjoy watching or whatever you know um a lot of people think the marx brothers haven't aged well in sense like but i think a lot of you will find a large enough pool of people that can agree on them i'm not sure like the train robbers has the same kind of we're not going to get the same kind of broad uh um um you know buy-in for that but maybe i'm wrong um i'm not it's also maybe i'm not sure about the people a lot of the other people who like regularly watch John Wayne movies that I actually want to be friends with them um because it's like I follow the official John Wayne account on Instagram and the comment section of that is just like the lobby at like a Trump rally or something like that country used to be so much better when John Wayne was in charge and like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like okay it's like we and there's always one but I love this whenever you scroll down the comments under a John Wayne post it doesn't matter when it happens and um like it, it can be a post from like 10 years ago, people post from tomorrow, and there's always like one person about five comments down who are like in like block caps, like and with like eagles and flag emojis, like we've needed John Wayne like never before. Like, what America needs now isn't John Wayne. It's like, um, <laughs> we have lots of middle aged men who, uh, with with uh, beer guts and strong opinions. Like, we, we don't need another one, yeah, we don't anymore. No, okay, can we? I just, uh, um. I just uh, got us really far off topic. Anders, what do you think about Bridge of Spies? Uh, I do like it. I after hearing Callum talking about it now, I do want to watch it again. I did. I did remember watching it in the cinema, enjoying it, and thought it was nice, little breezy, fun, well shot, and the performances are really good. Um, I'm still on the fence whether Mark Rylands deserved the Oscar or not, but basically because I watched Creed with Sylvester Stallone, and I thought I thought that could have gone to him, but but anyways, I might. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it again. Yeah, I just, I just, I just enjoy. As I think it's, I appreciate for the filmmaking. Yeah, more than necessarily the film itself, and I think that's a big thing. That's why I watch it before I, I shoot something. Yeah. I watch it for the the craft. I will say, uh, look and look and feel wise, and I'm a big believer in like look and feel for films, especially about history. It you can't fault it. Like the yeah. Yeah, the costumes, the vehicles, the um, sets, sets, and everything is really spot on. So well, that's something that he kind of always gets right, isn't it? Even in like Indiana Jones, he gets the the period right. Oh yeah, he does that very well. Like, um, because I remember with um, talk about like period, like I know it's not quite the same as far back, but like this is England. I remember watching that and going, he had like there's a scene where like they go to a school playground, and there was like skinheads and mods and all like there's all these different groups and it's it was slightly um an extreme version of what life was like then and i don't think you get that with with spielberg films and, and specifically bridge spies you get kind of a perfect balance um yeah what's your uh, third film uh so this one I'm gonna, is, is a very new film um and i'm saying this because i watched it last night again is oppenheimer which i've not seen have you not seen anyway? It's it's brilliant. I watched it again. <laughs> Baby, I can't. <laughs> but it was out. It was out. How, it was out how July. Was it? That's true. It. No, I. You know what? Full you could have done a double bill. You could have gone. I absolutely. I absolutely shat the bed with my film choices this summer. I didn't go to Barbie or Oppenheimer, and I went to the Mission Impossible film and the Indiana, the new Indiana Jones one. So I completely. I was that guy 
who somehow missed the two big hits of the summer and went to the two flops. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I saw, I saw all of them, but yeah. You okay. Just so I could too. I could make more of an effort. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no excuse, sir. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Oppenheimer. Tell me about yes. Oppenheimer. So I watched it so I, after watching te- te- Tenet. Yeah, Tenet. Um, I was very, I was very disappointed by that, and I went into Oppenheimer kind of going, mm, "Is it going to be at the same?" Trying to be too, cl- trying to be too clever, and that's all you're trying to be, which I felt Tenet definitely was. But actually, it was. He'd been extremely clever, but he'd used it the right way, like in terms of the the sound. It, like, it says if you want, like, someone who's studying sound, and it's, you should, you'll be... The sound this. design in the movie. The sound I mean, in that film is amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. And normally, you can't hear a bloody word anyone says in these movies. And that, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that film, you could hear every single word, and the sound design throughout was great. Like, the, the stamping of the feet that he kind of uses, where he's kind of going, Killian Murphy's character is kind of going, or kind of, he's kind of going internally, he's kind of using his internal thoughts. And these imagery where he kind of can't sleep at night at the beginning of the film with the sound and everything about it was great. And, and the use of black and white, again, a great kind of, he uses kind of time in this to jumping back and forth. But the black and white was like um, Memento, was used in a way that was clever and and push and helped the story, going, going from Robert Downey Jr.'s perspective to Oppenheimer's perspective and where it said, Brought down Junior's perspective when it's in black and white, and Killian Murphy when it's uh, in color. Um, and and it's one of, I have a quite a big bugbear with films being too long because <laughs> uh, I just don't think it's always necessary. I mean, I, I've been I've been very surprised recently. I thought I thought um, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I thought that was brilliant. I I thought that was great. Like I didn't have an issue with that. Like, that's three and a half hour movie. Not Primer's three, but I didn't at any point. Like look at my watch. It had me hooked all the way through. The performances were great. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I think it's probably Christopher Nolan's. I would say Christopher Nolan's best work since Interstellar. Mm. Oh, I love okay. Interstellar. Um, yeah, Interstellar's good. Uh, it... Sorry, I'm just. What? <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. Like, it's like getting on all these. No, I, I, I like. I, I, on the second time I watched Interstellar, I preferred it much much more than when i watched it the first time i think it's and i think it's like mean, the neutral and this is the switzerland of this uh podcast <laughs> it's like, there are arguments in favor of both of them <laughs> i liked i liked a lot of christopher nolan films though so i have to i mean whether it was uh insomnia or i did i did enjoy dunkirk for all of its problems um and i i must say i really I, oppenheimer everything i've heard about it everything I've seen about it, everything I've read about it makes me want to watch it. So I'm sure I'll love it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, especially sound, it's amazing. I mean, so I think, although I'm not a fan of Dunkirk, I saw Dunkirk in um, the Vertex screen. It's not quite IMAX, but it's pretty big. I, I was blown away watching it. But the thing is, as soon as I left the screen, it was, it was amazing and visually stunning. But Mm. as soon as I left it, I was like, why, why were they putting their holes in a ship to stop it from sinking? Uh, like a, a ship stop from sinking, where like they're in that. Yeah, that the boat, boat. Yeah. I'm like, what's that going to do? Like, that gonna, that, who, who does that? For goodness, uh, there was stuff that afterwards I was like, 
that was just ridiculous. You got like him gliding at Spitfire on the beach. I'm like, it just it was just nose dive. There was stuff I was like, Arthur was like, it looked great, but Arthur was like, if I did that with Arthur, and someone would crucify us. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> like a big. I remember sitting in the going, hello, got yeah, got some points to make here. Yeah. Sitting in the cinema watching Tom Hardy fly a Spitfire with its engine off. It, like doing maneuvers to shoot down Stukas, and I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it's just not, yeah. it's the no, can't happen. But it's um, yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. but it has yeah issues anyway. Um, I, I mean, it, the the Oppenheimer thing is really interesting as well because I think there's a real moment to be had. You know, to, in this country, the one I'm sitting in to 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 go back to this era and revisit it because of the um, politics around um, the Cold War and McCarthyism and so on. And um, and this idea of trying to take these um, highly visible public figures and stick them on trial to try and sort of discredit them, but also to try and, um, to, you know, call into question people's, um, other people's political beliefs and um, the legitimacy, the legitimacy, the legitimacy of those and to um, normalize a kind of um, oppression in what is ostensibly a democracy, which is what is happening a bit now, frankly. Um, and so um, I think it's I think there's lots of like good gold to be mined from an era of American history that most people look past because you either make films about like the Second World War or you go a little bit further ahead to like the 60s and stuff when everything's a bit more dramatic but i feel like there's a there's a lot of um uh there's a lot of cool stuff happening in that period so i'm glad they've sort of shine they've shone a light on that um mm. and um yeah it does uh it does look good yeah the cinematography is amazing and the sound design i was i, I also just like there was some like little quick cuts that they do with like visual effects kind of stuff i thought that was really impressive like the whole when he's talking about like neutrons and atoms and the way they did that was pretty was pretty awesome yeah it's yeah, I mean, I I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I said I watched it again last night, and again, I didn't, I didn't with a long film like that. I never was like, oh, what time is it? I just sat and mm. I said, for me, if if a film's three hours and I don't do that, it's 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 good. Like, well, it's more yeah. than that, but like in my eyes, that's a that's a big thumbs up because that's I find that's quite difficult because people do. I mean, I'm not saying I have a small attention span, but some people have a very short attention span. <laughs> I. I know, I know, I know how it feels. I mean, what's interesting these days for us is that we could be watching an hour and um, hour and a half movie, and then you'll um, you'll be like forty five minutes, and we're like, God, when is like we still got such a long way to go? Because it's like any time that we sit still uh, these days, um, we just feel that sort of iron grip of fatigue on us. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> like, even we were watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail the other day. And I'm like, oh, this is longer than I remember. <laughs> it's like a 74 minute movie. But um, that's a more unique problem. But I agree with you. I think films should try and rein themselves in, not enough do. And um, certainly not the Mission Impossible movie I went to see uh, this summer, for example. And um, not like a lot of the latest Bond films and stuff are just like bloated messes. And it's great when a film justifies its runtime because there, is a, there can be real majesty in a three hour movie. Mm. 
Yeah, same with Killers of the Flower Moon as well. I mean, I've seen the movie twice and I didn't, like the first time I watched it, I did feel the length, but it didn't really bother me that much. I think the second time around, I was really, you know, I know what the film was and I could be really more invested in it and catch things I didn't see the first time. Yeah. It's, I think it really does, that's a film that really justifies its long runtime because it's such a big story and it has to cover so much. Hmm. I mean, I think it, that's one thing I say about Killers of the Flower Moon is I think it, could have been cut down though Oppenheim I kind of struggled to think where they could lose stuff which wouldn't kind of massively like drastically affect the story or or what he was trying to say where there was sections not all of it but sections and I'm not saying he'd be able to cut it down by half hour but he might be able to cut 10 minutes out of it there were just elements where I was like okay move on now come on yeah cut, like a seen, little bit of the fat off we've seen that they're at a party okay yeah move on what's what's the purpose of this scene like yeah. Um, but I mean, that's just that's. I mean, I'm criticizing what's Martin Scorsese. I'm not Martin Scorsese, but there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, we, we're always we're always taking his side on this podcast, but um, I don't think anyone is above criticism. And I think that there are. Uh, I mean, I had the same problem when I watched The Irishman. I was like, this is great. It's also, and maybe an hour too long, <laughs> or, or but certainly twenty, you know, twenty, save twenty thirty minutes off, and you wouldn't miss it. Um, but um, it sounds like Oppenheimer's really a masterpiece. I wonder what if it'll do anything at the Oscars or anything like that because these summer it, movies, you know. I I bet I think it could win editing and sound. Yeah. He might win best director. Yeah, I've had feeling he could for this. I'm trying to think what else is coming. Out. Obviously, got Napoleon. Quit really just got to win because he never does. Uh, <laughs> uh, about, I mean, he's, I didn't realize Ridley Scott was 85. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's in his grouchy old man phase. Oh, but like, he's always been a grouchy yeah, old man. That's that's like, when was he he's not playing? <laughs> um, what else was out this year? What was out at the start? Something was out at the start of the year that I thought was really good, but I can't remember what it was now. Uh, obviously, I think he, the, the competition will be like Killers of the Flower Moon. I yeah. Think they'll, they'll be yeah. a big, that, it'll be probably between Oppenheimer that. There was another film at the start of the year that was really good, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Not the creator. Have you seen the creator? No, I haven't seen the creator yet. I do. I do want I to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. But really, you can watch it. It's like Rogue One. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really like Gareth Edwards. I thought. I thought. I really like monsters. I liked how he made monsters. And Rogue One, I thought was great. Godzilla, I was a bit like, okay, I hit and miss. But yeah, this one, it, there's so many plot holes. Oh my god! And there's just fun, like weird bits in it. Like they've got some amazing animals in, like, in that film. Like some that set off like explosions. <laughs> like quite literally, a guy. <laughs> this is really giving it away. A guy is has got this detonator, and he's killed, and the detonator falls, and a monkey comes up, picks up the detonator, and blows up the charges. You don't see this monkey before. This monkey appears. And then there's also a, a section with the dog where someone throws a grenade in the room and a dog appears, picks up a grenade, drops it at the guy's the guy who saw it feet. What? Like, what? I mean, I don't yeah. I have to watch I, the I, movie I was, now. <laughs> I was say, this sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's visually stunning. It sounds and, like Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah. It's visually stunning, and there's some there are some other it's very cool looking is the kind of the best way yeah, to describe yeah. it. I've, I've there are yeah. there are flaws, like a dustbin with legs. That's another one. When you when you watch it, you'll know what I mean. There's a dustbin, dustbin with legs in uh, Interstellar. 
the robot isn't that looks a lot oh, like yeah, the twirly robot thing. I, 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 I've got to say, actually, I like that robot. He's one of the he's one he's one of the top movie robots as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and I also really appreciate your love for Rogue One because I I'm a big um, big fan of Rogue One. I don't think it gets the love it deserves. Um, it's good. It's good it is the movie. best Star Wars. Dis- well, I mean, it's one of the. It's probably one of the better Star Wars Disney films that they've made. It it's the thing is the one thing about it is it's the Rogue One. It's a story that was interesting and like, hmm. although it, you didn't need you don't obviously need a film about them finding Death Star plans, but it adds. Hmm. Whereas the others don't really seem to add very much. I mean, the solo, I quite enjoyed solo for what it was, but it didn't, it didn't need it. I, it can, solo sort of confused me because I don't watch enough of the like TV series. So I was like, is that Darth Maul? Why is it? What? And then, and then Anders would be like, well, if you'd seen this, you'd understand that this. And I'd be like, I don't care about that. Why do I have to have done homework to see the fucking film? Like, it's just like, make a good, how hard can it be? It's like Marvel now. Yeah, I know. That's the problem with Marvel. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot of the Marvel films and then they did Avengers Endgame, which felt like a season finale, but then everything, it, it felt like that's the story that they wanted to tell and it's over, but it feels like it's now a TV show that should have ended like five seasons ago and it kind of feels like narratively a bit lost on where they're going. And it's, yeah. I think the problem is, is like when they announced that they were going to do those TV shows, I, I kind of felt like that might spell problems if they can just keep it separate from the films, but feeling like you have to watch eight episodes to watch like eight episodes of Miss Marvel to watch the Marvels or whatever. And then you have, it's just, yeah, it's, it's homework and it's, it's exhausting. It and a lot of the time, truly, truly soul destroying. But like, also like looking at like the, because they're being churned out, like, you know, Ford motor cars in a fact on the factory floor, like, and also the, the so, so what like Ford motor cars in the fact, what, why no, are because, you like, because like Ford from the 1920s? Like, ah, they're making <laughs> like, cars quicker than they can make um, ball bearings. <laughs> no, because like they, they, you know, sometimes can, can I explain? Can, can I finish? Can I explain? What I was <laughs> I don't know why you make suddenly turned into a Mister Monopoly man from the 1920s. <laughs> okay, so like because I read an article last year because there was a thing about like vfx artists not wanting to work on disney marvel projects because of how overworked they were like they you'd have like two people working on like three projects and then that would just be like i just felt like that was insane and like the amount of work they do and sometimes you know because they have like a certain release date that they have to get to and it's just like they're they're making it's like it it is very much quantity over quality a little bit with those Mm -hmm. films these days I think I mean that's what what I was trying to get getting at in the way that they just make and keep making so much. I think we're going to hear from. I think we just lost Ford as a sponsor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to use that as an analogy, but I guess it didn't work. But anyway, yeah, that's that's. I thought you were going to make some like big point about unionization and tie it all back to Henry Ford and production practices, and then make the argument that that way of running industries has very much been replicated uh, to the detriment of workers, but to the benefit of the tycoons. Yeah, what I would have done. Anyway, what's, um, your, what's, uh, what's your fourth and last? Yeah, so, welcome to Home okay. Movies. So, so <laughs> three hours. I, in. I, I had like I don't know which one to choose. I have two now. Oh. I'm not sure. I've got an older film, Ooh. or I've got quite a modern film. Which would you like? And just, I'll just, just you're going to mention them both, but um, I'd okay. like to hear about the older film first. Older film. I mean, it's not that old, but it's old. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Ooh, is classic is because Hard I think it's one, with that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just great. I mean, just yeah. Jack Nicholson. I think that's what really that film for me. What I love about it is the performances and all the characters, and and um, I I just Jack Nicholson. I, if Jack Nicholson is one of the actors that I wish I could work with if I had a, if he had a chance, like to like name an actor, it'd be Jack Nicholson in this heyday. His charisma, um, everything about him, like yeah. I mean, I I think that's a big part of why I love One Flew Cookies Nest so much is is him, <laughs> honestly. And and the other characters. I mean it's just I mean it's a great film. It's always been like in my top ten for sure. Uh, and there was a there's a stage where I used to watch it loads and I used to be like, yeah, I want to be like Chat Nicholas <laughs> because who doesn't? Um yeah that's I think I think it's him. I think I think he was like at the peak of his career at that point. He just done oh what he just done Chinatown he just Chinatown, done before yeah. that and he and because he did I think he did his acceptance speech on the set of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yeah for the Baxter I think it his was Baxter acceptance Baxter, speech yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a brilliant bit if if the listeners haven't seen it um is is genuinely hilarious that they they create this like background of all these guys like appearing to join him as an in his uh acceptance it was very funny um and it's a brilliant film i mean it's a yeah it's one of the great uh you know when you think when i think about the cinema of the 1970s you know of the really of a time when prestige pictures like the biggest movie of the year could be a film that had that level of um soul and you know uh, smarts as well it's a, it's it's a film that you know feels um so sort of um you know there's it has so much to say and it's sort of inviting you in to have like a kind of dialogue with it hmm. um and um and and it's not it, it's not a sort of black and white um you know there are obviously certain characters and who are who fit into one category or another but even like nurse ratchet you know it's like is she's not like the total villain you know there is something in there there's this in the, that meeting of of um you know that conflict between her and nicholson in the film is done so brilliantly um yeah. and i um th there are scenes in that that are both incredibly uncomfortable to watch but where you also you you just can't just do anything other than marvel at the the writing and the acting um yeah and, and it's the like the dialogue between all the all the guys and him and the, yeah. the guy it's great it's great everything yeah i mean i'm just I, it's like i've got a crush on jack nipson that's what it sounds like yeah but, well i mean <laughs> you, everyone you know, does it's not uh you're not wrong he's it's a really interesting point of his career because i've seen a couple of movies of his where you know the young the young sort of wiry jack nicholson uh he you know he was in a lot of b movies um he's in this very interesting western called the shooting with Warren Oates, which came out in the late 60s. The Monty he, Hellman film, isn't it? It is. Uh, he plays a kind of like slightly sinister kind of gunfighter in that. And he's kind of, he's, you know, it's Jack Nicholson, so it's hard to watch it with hindsight. But when you see it, you see he's kind of callow. He's kind of, um, you know, you're not really sure if he's just a bit of a, uh, a, a charismatic guy or whether he's really got it. And it's, you know, only a few years later that he does easy rider and then it's like you just never look back and those that decade or so after the easy rider where he just does film after film after film that are just amazing um, was, um I... sorry it was five easy pieces before easy rider 
Uh, it came out. I think what it came it? out a few years after Easy Rider. Yeah, because that I didn't think that was very good. I I I just didn't go anywhere. But mm. I was wondering if that was before, or just or just after he he did it because he was Easy Rider and then suddenly like took off. Yeah, I find seen one. I have easy pieces. I tell you a film that Anders introduced me to that I love from this era of Nicholson's career is um Hal Ashby's The Last Detail. I don't yeah, know if you've seen. I haven't seen that. No. Oh, you'd like that because it's um, it's about these two uh, sailors, navy guys, who have to take another sailor to uh, like the um, the naval prison, um, uh, which is located up in the north somewhere, and they're at a base in the southern part of the east coast, and they go on this essentially like a three day road trip to various American cities and getting kind of sh- their scrapes and stuff. But it's a very um, very sweet film, um, you know, with the usual kind of themes of masculinity and so on but but nicholson is um is tremendous in it um and um just has a has has and, and it's got randy quaid and oh gosh who's the other guy um but it's uh yeah that's a that's a very good film less less seen but i agree chinatown amazing and one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's like every time i see it, it feels increasingly um important or something um also underrated as a funny movie too like you forget how there are actually some like big laughs in one flew over the cuckoo's nest i think people think about it as like a bleak film it's i think there's a lot of there is a lot of levity. very very sort of rousing moments well, it's, it's because that end scene is like everyone knows that end scene where he's if spoiler alert he's suffocated and so i think everyone kind of goes oh that is the full time of the movie and it is very dark and it is very sad but yeah you're right there is there is like half the moments in it. Um, and it was directed by Milos Milos, there's go. Because he directed uh, another great film, which I really like. It's not one of my top 10. Um, the Man on the Moon. Yeah, with Jim Carrey. That's a really good film. Yeah, that's a great oh, film. Yeah. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, yeah. Which is, that's like, I kind of found that movie through finding out about Andy Kaufman and then like, went, oh, there's a film about it. And then, Finding out how absolutely crazy he was. I mean, hilarious, but like mad. Yeah, um, he seemed like a very complicated person. Yeah. I mean, just well, it's all around. the whole thing about, oh, is he actually dead? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's... His last, One of his last jokes was, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I fake my own death? And then in so many years, and he was talking about how, fu- what is the perfect amount of time for it to be a funny joke? Is it 50 years or 30 years or whatever? So those people were like, oh, well, he's faked his own death then. Oh, God. <laughs> so is it going to be like the Mayan calendar where it's like every so often we're like, oh, this is going to be the big reveal. He's going to come back. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, back to... Back, back back to, to yeah. well, this happens. This, this is very much part of the course on Holmes movies. Uh, we, we we steer off into all kinds of uh, uh, yeah conversational weeds. Um, what was your more modern pick for this uh, fourth entry? So this one was, uh, it was uh, Super 8. And oh, the, the reason that, yes, the reason for that is I think it's because of the I think I think for kids that are like all the main characters, you don't have a single sickly like especially in British films you get this like really sickly like sickly sweet kids. <laughs> you got none of that. They were really good actors, uh, which you don't see very often. Kind of very much kind of like Stranger Things. But I also love the fact, like, it's all these guy kids are making. Yeah, they're making a film. And then stumble upon this this alien. Um, 
which kind of resonated with me because when I was a kid, I used to make lots of Super 8 and camcorders for my cousins to make silly short films and videos. Um, and I found when that came out now, probably just before, I think it was around time where I was like, this is definitely what I want to do as a, a living, make, yeah. make movies. And it was kind of like, this is, if I can make a, a type of movie, this would be great. I mean, I've got, we've got a sci-fi idea, which is very much in the style of Super 8 crossed with, uh et cross with uh stranger things-esque nice um like the sound of that uh, and yeah so that's that's the other one it was and that's more of a, a pure enjoyment i get from that movie and uh because of the subject matter and what the kids are doing in in the film itself making a movie with super eight <laughs> I do, I do love the the movie within a movie thing. Never gets old. Yeah. So yeah, but I like I like the it's... fact that it's a horror film that they're making, like a zombie film. And they, yes, and they I love the fact that they they have like there's that big train crash sequence, which is very cool and very well done. And then they utilize that like the sort of aftermath of it in in a scene that for their little film that they do. I thought that was really fun, fun but not ethical. No. Um, <laughs> But well, uh, no one was harmed. Yeah. Well, actually, no, someone is, isn't it? There's a yeah, guy on the track. Yeah, it's true. Um true. but I, I agree about the kid, the the actors who play the um the 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 kid actors. They're 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 great. I love the core chemistry just mm. works. And I think it's the same with like Stranger Things. If, if the if those actors don't work and they don't have the chemistry, then it then it just kind of falls apart. Like it, it just, you know, the film holds together because of those characters. Again, and also talk about like capturing the time period. It captures yeah. that time period perfectly. Um, I think that one's like a pure enjoyment sort of film. I mean, anything J.J. Abrams I love, but that's one that sticks in my mind the most. I mean, I love like the first Star Trek, or for the first two Star Treks actually that he did. Yeah, um, that was great. Um, but yeah, that it, just pure enjoyment is that's why I cho- I chose that one. Mm. Nice. Yeah, so nice. Yeah. Choosing four is so difficult. Get a, yeah, get a little bonus. We can we can be we can be uh, magnanimous. We're not sponsored by Letterboxd yet, so there's no point. In, um, it's like, <laughs> how can you come on this first episode of this new format and already change the rules? And it's like <laughs> there are no rules. Um, but um, but that was a good choice. Uh, a good good selection of uh, of films, and um, uh, I really. Um, I feel like I now, it's, whenever I talk about films with anyone, it's like, all right, just need to add them all to my watch list and go and see them again. Because, um, yeah, it's like, th- there's nothing quite like talking about movies with someone who's also enthusiastic to like make you immediately go and watch, want to watch the thing. Um, but in a slightly clumsy segue, how could people go and watch your film that's coming out uh, very, very soon, uh, Battle Over Britain? So they can either go to a cinema, although it's a very limited cinema release, uh, from Friday 1st of December. So you might be listening to this, but that's already gone. So if you, it has already gone, and it's out. Get that get this thing edited. All right? yeah, yeah, You're not yeah, sleeping yeah. tonight. You know? <laughs> it's out on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK 29th of January and out digitally mid-January. Uh, I don't have any of... Uh, I know it's coming out in Australia and America early 
2020 well years going to be 2024 i think mm-hmm. february i've not i've not got that date yeah i've had the dvd sleeve but i've not had anything else um and it's out in russia if you want to see it in russia if you have any russia listeners <laughs> poland. hello to our russian listeners yes yeah, um, poland um, i have no other dates <laughs> i i only know uk dates but the rest of the world is out early next year um and said so it's going to be and the cinema like, release is just in the uk right the yeah just in the uk it might have a i know i've also had a small cinema release in the states but i don't know if this one will i mean it'll be a very limited thing like a few screens but and um, is it is it across the country or um it's no? mainly in um, but the issue is obviously right now you've got napoleon and um Wonka coming out mm. and so i think cinemas are quite tied up so at the moment it's more kind of in the lincolnshire area like leicestershire area um and some in yorkshire but we are trying to get some screenings down like in kent and that sort of thing but it's mainly kind of local at the moment okay well if you're in the lincolnshire yorkshire lincolnshire area. leicestershire triangle um get your asses <laughs> to a local cinema um and then if not buy the dvd because you yeah. know it's about- dvds on dvds are on you can get all uh, pre-order dvds now they're already live well, we will. Well, we <laughs> Anders will put the uh, links to all of this in the uh, show notes, including a link to the your website yeah. and everything. Um, but um, yes, do uh, remember that uh, the best way to see a film is in the cinema, and the second best way is on a DVD that you own, because then you're getting one over on the streaming companies. Yeah, physical <laughs> media all the way. <laughs> We're just yeah. extremists. Um, it's amazing yeah. that Uber. I mean, it is like amazing how like DVD has like disappeared completely. I mean, looking at yeah, it's a bit of like insight. I say insight knowledge. So, uh, Lancaster Skies sold. Uh, and bearing in mind, it's a very low budget film. It sold forty five thousand copies on DVD in the UK. Wow. Battle over Britain will probably sell twelve thousand, oh. and that's purely because that and that'll be a good day if it's twelve thousand fifty. does yeah, this yeah. include blu-ray or is this just... yes this is like disc copies okay. yeah but it's just oh, that yeah. they're like depleted like the fact is now like you've got like all the main super- only one main supermarket now stocks dvd and then it's hmv and amazon it's just disappearing i mean i think it's mad that supermarkets aren't selling them still because you have dads go yeah. around going oh i'll pick that up for a fiver oh well yeah i'll take that especially war yeah. films jesus i mean like you can 10 years ago, if you went into a Tesco, there'd be about five war films on the bottom shelf. Um, oh my God. Yeah, I remember it well. I, I have definitely um, found many <laughs> films. That, I mean, I remember when an HMV used to be on every, when there was an HMV on every high street. Um, <laughs> well, and they just reopened going... the one, again, the main one in Oxford Street. Yeah, I saw that. But it's, is, it, um... is it as big though? Because it was huge beforehand. It looks like, like it's three big... stories. It was like massive. It was pretty. Yeah, like, yeah, I remember. Based on the really pictures big. I've seen, it looks like they're making like a sort of almost a sort of HMV land out of it. Like there's a there's a lot of you know what I mean. It's like it's, it's almost HMV like HMV land. It's, yeah. it's like a Lego it's, land. Yeah, essentially. But no, it's, you know, it's part of it. It's like it's there just for its own sake. Like it's there's there's a lot of. I was I was struck by the fact that in the like marketing material i saw on social media they were very much kind of focused on like the t-shirt section and i was like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, gotta sell i want to see what your world war ii movie shelf is before i make any um you know final uh conclusions but um we'll still see but so yeah well i hope um 
I hope the people who are listening to this in Russia and elsewhere uh, watch the film, buy the film. <laughs> and uh, and I really am interested to see what happens with the next project. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, we should thank you for coming on and um, being such right. a marvelous guest. Um, and it's been really nice to catch up after all this time. I'm going to ask Anders, you just put this in the podcast. What do you think of being the sound guy? Could you hear it all? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, 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 I was, I was a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always worried when I watch something that I've worked on. Like, I hope, like, you know, I'm always worried. Like, people like send me messages during the editing, going like, "What were you doing here at this point when we were shooting that scene or something like that?" But no, I, I, I it, it sounded good. It looked great, and I really enjoyed it. And I was also like, like the emotional moments really hit me. Like, particularly in the last sort of moment, especially with um. Ben Thatcher's music, you're a composer. Like, mm. I did a really good, did a really good job. So you didn't spot yourself in it, which is good because you were in it, and I had to paint you out. Oh, re- oh yeah, I can yeah. imagine like my boom or my like like the reflection. Do, do yeah, your all of you. Was oh in shit! Anders had a new scene. Yeah, I can see why you cut that. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do the sort of one up the guy who was wearing the pink shorts on the Star Wars New Hope set, like the boom. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, yes, I've seen that. Um, so so you, well, Anders was just like. <laughs> Just like crossing the set one day. <laughs> no, he was so it's it's you you'll see if you you can tell in one shot that it's been painted out. There's um a scene near the beginning of the film where um Cochrane, played by Tom Gordon, and uh Who I went to school with. <laughs> I forgot to mention Tom was in the year above me. Anyway. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, so there's another connection. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> um David. Uh, who plays the group captain where it's like a two shot and in the background Vin's in the back who plays Walker um, and there's a the window and we were like you you were just stood there with the boom like this there were the arms in the air clear as day and I was like how did we miss that and that's not oh, down no. to you it was just I don't know how we missed it because I don't know how the camera was here to be honest but I don't know how we and I wouldn't I wasn't like oh that's Anders what it was just like how on earth did we like not see that massive that huge effect of Anders with a boom pole but I mean he's oh, not God. small he's got the added um you know uh, very tall enhancement of a massive furry pole wait that sounded wrong uh he's got um, <laughs> um not a yeah the um, dead cat on my was I, I always think of that line from Snatch it's not like he's inconspicuous is it <laughs> Set of cards. He's, uh, <laughs> um, and and getting angry on set. Tractor noises was hilarious. What? Oh, and the tractor tell me noises. About, I want to hear about this. Did you oh, do? Yeah, you do the a Oh yeah, the tractors were annoying me. Every time we were doing a scene, like because we were, it was like harvest season or something, and they would like drive down the road near where we were filming, and like every time we were doing a scene, and it's like, and also like a lot of the sort of intimate scenes in the huts where most of the film takes place. Like I just really wanted to make sure the sound was just good, and then just to hear like an attractor like in the background. I was just like, shut up. Yeah, but, you know what Anders like. He's a very polite young man, but he was like, off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just when it like comes. I to love the idea of you like actually going out to like confront a farmer. Um, <laughs> just get like a little <laughs> dog. Do you want to be like you just waving where you came? <laughs> 
Oh boy. Well, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully you didn't have such a huge trouble trying to like take all that stuff out. That was one thing I was just really worried about. Spoil all the stuff. Uh, I mean, Ben did spend quite a long time, but I mean, it's one of those things. It's not your fault that there was tracks. Yeah. Right? We were in the middle of a field. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's... Um, but no, I think I think nine, how much of that is original? 75%, 75% is original sound, I'd say. Oh, that's good. Cleaned up, and then the rest is ADR. ADR. I hate doing ADR. Ugh. My yeah. God. It's hard. You know, it's, it's just like, I'm not in the industry, and I, I mean, and I'm just so full of people, because it's like, it seems extremely hard to get stuff out in the world, and um, even in a world that's like so full of content as ours is. Um, and yeah, I've got to say, I'm very uh, admiring of uh both of you but yeah it's particularly like you Callum with a full-on production company and everything it's just i mean it, you you've not chosen the easy path in life oh no it's it's very stressful that's for sure i mean you say a, a production company it's only two of us well three of us include sam <laughs> it's not big and it's not a mate it's literally and we work out my old bedroom um and it's very uh yeah <laughs> shoestring but i mean it works and the thing is we love what we love what we do, and so I mean we've been trying to get it on the ground that cost would cost three million, and there's quite a lot of like hoops you got to jump through, and then yet yeah, we we're not doing it now because a we don't think it's the right timing, and b it's just enjoyable, and I'd rather like do something where I enjoy what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm getting paid tuppence. Like I'd rather do as long as I can live, I'm happy. It's better than working elsewhere. If I had, working in retail if I had to it's better than doing anything like that so I'd rather do it for yeah I'd rather do what I love doing rather I can invite Anders over and I can take the piss out of him looking like Beaker there you go I mean what's lots of like yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast I mean no one's getting rich off this fucker but you know uh we uh we do it because we love to do it and we love to take the piss out of Anders um <laughs> full-time job with you <laughs> oh yeah absolutely um difficult with the difference these days um look uh this has been huge amounts of fun um yeah as I can't thank you enough for coming on um and we should probably knock this on the head because it's late um but um yeah good luck with the film and with the next one yeah. and with the one after that and you know as i say like today your bedrooms tomorrow the world like i feel like you keep doing it you will um yeah it, it can only the, the only way is up uh, and i just love the 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 ethos um as we've discussed and um yeah all all of that stuff i just uh, could not be more in favor so um well done thank you cheers yes cheers all right. Anything else, Anders? No. I mean, you can find us on. Um, we're on Instagram. You can find us at, at Homes Movies Pod. We're also on Instagram. Not so much on Twitter these days, or whatever the hell Elon Musk is calling it. But uh, Callum, you're on Instagram and things like that, aren't you? Yeah, Instagram. Um, the film has a Facebook page. Uh, yeah, we're on everything. We're at Twitter, whatever it's called now. We're everywhere. Although I don't really use Twitter that much. I should use it more. But um, so yes, we have an online presence. Yes. It will be it will be acknowledged in the online presence of this podcast's advertisements and indeed itself. Um, but yes, Anders will do the tagging. Uh, yes. Um, I'll and, do that. Um, well, anyway, thanks a bunch, Callum. That was great. Right, thank you. Thank good. you, Callum. Thanks for being on. It was great. Right. See ya. So See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.